like that. <laughs> so I don't know if you started that recording or if I did, but I'm going to pause it. Hi, everybody. This is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to Conversations.net. This is a fun new project. Dan's my third interview in this new series. Uh, Dan, is it Dan Shawbell? Am I saying that you correctly? Actually, you're, you're one of three people in the entire world who gets it right. Congratulations. <laughs> well, with a name like Hargadon, I have to be careful. <laughs> so it is August 12, 2009. Dan is our guest tonight. This is Conversations.net. We want to thank uh, LearnCentral.org and Illuminate for their sponsorship of this series. The Illuminate is my employer, full disclosure, but um, they allow me to do this and I'm appreciative of it. Um, there's this picture of Dan. Of course, this was obviously taken 20 years ago. Dan, you're a much older man, right? I'm 25 now. That was taken when I was 23. Oh, you're counting in, in years way too short for the rest of us. <laughs> so before we get started, I want to let you know, August 18th, Howard Rheingold. August 20th, Gary Small, who wrote iBrain. August 25th, the founder of Pandora, Tim Westergren. September 3rd, Manny Hernandez, who wrote Ning for Dummies. I worked for Ning as a uh, consultant as I did for a period of time. Great guy. Anne Galeran on September 15th to talk about the European e-twinning program. John Seely Brown on September 22nd. And Dennis Lipke to talk about big picture schools on October 6th. Still to come, still negotiating dates, Clay Shirky, Doc Searles, Dana Boyd, Tim Magner, David Thornburg, and Esther I'm not even going to try pronouncing Esther's name, but Esther now the chairman of the board of um, Creative Commons and a, a well-respected and loved teacher in Palo Alto. Okay, so uh, please encourage you to visit LearnCentral.org. LearnCentral.org is the social network for educators uh, that Illuminate is sponsoring. Uh, we call it the LC3, Facebook-like in scope. You can find other educators, Illuminate, and event calendaring baked in. And you can run your own free large webinars there. We'll talk about that as Dan talks about personal branding. And content sharing. So please do take a look at LearnCentral.org. If this is your first time in Illuminate, I want to give you some quick pointers. Uh, on your screen, you'll see the participant box. At the bottom of your participant box is a way for you to raise your hand. It's the hand with the green arrow up. If you feel like you'd like to ask a question when we get to Q&A, or there's something that you're confused by, please feel free to raise your hand. You can also use the small emoticons next to the hand to indicate happiness, clapping, confusion, or disapproval. Those uh, emoticons are there. There's, there's, there are also a green check and a red X. If Dan wants to ask you a yes-no question, you can actually reply, and we can tally up those replies. Below the participant window is your chat area. Uh, I often find that that chat goes by too quickly to watch in that small window, so if you'd like, you can go up to View Layouts and select the Wide Layout, and you'll get a little bit better uh, ability to watch those chats. Although you can send personal chats in there to other individuals in the um, session, do know that both Dan and I will see those chats. And it looks like we lost Dan and he's now back. So I'm going to give him moderator privileges. Dan, welcome back. Looks like we lost you for a second. 
And we do have a whiteboard. And the presentation you're seeing is in the whiteboard. And I'm going to give you permissions now to update that whiteboard so you can tell us where you're listening from. Next to the, to the left of the map is a little wand with a red star at the end. If you click on that and then click on the map, we'll know where you're listening from. So North America-centric group tonight. Oh, hey. Someone may be in Peru. Please feel free to shout out where you're listening from. It's also fun sometimes to see the time and temperature. Okay, we're going to switch to a screen of just the United States for those of you in the U.S. and in parts of Canada and Mexico. Go ahead and do the same thing. Just click on where you're listening from. Oh, Ecuador. How fun. Been reading about your president in Ecuador today. Okay, nicely diverse group. Okay, well, so Dan, we're sure glad to have you here. Um, I need to tell you that I bought um, Me 2.0 a couple of months ago, and it's one of the more marked up books I've ever owned. Um, I, I, we're going to talk about the language, the marketing language, and how it might translate to a more educational audience, which is the audience that I've typically gotten. Um, but certainly I feel like it's just a, a, um, one, of the, one of the really more interesting reads um, that I've had in a long time. So congratulations on that. And your mic isn't on, so you may want to click your mic back on if you're trying to talk. And I see your mic's on, but I'm not hearing you. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I really appreciate you reading the book. Well, I think that I'm not the only one in the group who has. Um, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your own story and, and what your own personal journey has been like? Do you want the long story or you want the short story? <laughs> well, we, we have a nice hour here, so maybe somewhere in between. Okay. I, it, it all started really back in middle school when I acquired two skills that have stayed with me for a long time. So, I mean, I would say that web development and graphic design are what I've leveraged now and have helped me develop. I have six websites now, so that those were two important skills that I learned back in middle school. And then I actually was developing websites around my hobbies at the time or my special interests. I remember I had a, a 007 James Bond fan site that I was kind of obsessed with. And then before I graduated, um, I had like a website to connect all my friends so I could keep in touch with them. And then in high school, I... I was a camp counselor for three summers, I believe, and then the last summer, my final year in high school, my parents were like, you got to get a real job now. And my dad had a connection to an entrepreneur in the area. I'm originally from Newton, Massachusetts. So he had like three businesses. I got involved in one of them, which was more sales oriented. 
and it placed me calling. I made over a thousand cold calls in the summer. It was miserable, and I got rejected a thousand times. I didn't get one sale, and so it was really, really tough on me, and it made me realize that sales wasn't something that I was interested in. Huh. And so I was more into back-end marketing instead of front-end, which I considered sales, so back-end supporting sales, of course. And so college started, and I knew I wanted to get involved in marketing. I knew it was going to be, I knew freshman year that it was going to be hard to get a job out of school in marketing four years later. And so I, sophomore year, I developed, I had a development plan, which linked me to a series of internships. So when I graduated, it would be okay. I'd have a good, strong enough profile, resume, that I would be selected over everyone else, hopefully, from Bentley College, and now it's called Bentley University. And I created a personal branding toolkit, which I didn't call it personal branding back then. I didn't even call it a toolkit. I was just trying to market myself, and that's what I called it. I was marketing myself. And so I had a business card. I had a custom cover letter, custom resume, custom references document, I had my own website, and I had a CD portfolio of all my work because I had started my own web consulting business freshman sophomore year, and I wanted to see if I could get internships on my own without my father's help, and I ended up marketing myself into seven more internships. I graduated with eight internships. The internships were in all different marketing disciplines because I was trying to figure out what type of job I wanted when I graduated, whether it be a large company, a small company, public relations, direct marketing, advertising, and I got into Reebok. You know, it was the headquarters of Reebok. It took me a year and a half to get into Reebok without any connections. I got rejected one summer and I kept working at it, and I got in the second summer. And I also worked at Lojack, Lighthouse, and Tech Target before I graduated, as well as seven leadership positions on campus and good grades. And so I thought I was set. This one thing I neglected, it was networking. I never really was comfortable networking at all. And so that was something that I didn't do. And I found out the hard way. I, it took me eight months. So I was, I was trying to get a job at EMC Corporation because I recognized how important it was to have a strong brand attached to you. And EMC's reputation was good, and I want to work in Massachusetts for a top company. And so it took me eight months meeting 15 people, getting rejected twice to get my first job, even with my, my resume and everything that I had accomplished at that point. And it was a huge learning factor. And after I got it, I was like obviously extremely I was very excited, especially because a lot of people gave up on me. They're like, oh, maybe you want to work at Dunkin' Donuts corporate or something else like that. And so I didn't give up. And it was interesting because that was one situation I didn't give up in. And then to get my internship at Reebok, I didn't give up in. And then I was actually deferred from Bentley in the beginning. And so I didn't give up on that. I did interviews, and I made sure I got in in regular admissions. So those are the three kind of stories where I struggled, but I pushed through. And then I was working at EMC in product marketing for a year or so, uh, and I started a blog. It was called the Personal Branding Blog after re reading Tom Peters' brand called You Article, Fast Company. Uh, cover story, August 1997, 
recognize that what Tom Peters is talking about was everything that I was interested in and passionate about. And after having a blog, I had my first blog October 5, 2006. It was called Driven to, Driven to Succeed. It was on Blogger. I think it's called Blogspot now by Google. And I took that content, pushed it into a new blog called the Push for Branding blog that was reflective of what I was interested in, what I could tell the world. And there was other personal branding experts at that point who had some blogs, but there was no one my age. I was 23 at the time, and so I, I felt like I was very well positioned in the marketplace. I wanted to own the Google page results for personal branding. That was my first main goal, long-term goal, um, and I almost do today. And so within six months, from March 14, 2007, to August 1, 2007, I had a blog, I had a video podcast series called Personal Branding TV, I had the Personal Branding Awards which I launched, uh, Personal Branding Magazine, the first issue was August 1st, and I wrote articles for About.com, Brand Week Magazine, and many other blogs and, and magazines. And then after the six months, Fast Company wrote about what I was doing in six months. EMC had no idea what I was doing outside of work. They got wind of this article in PR, sent it to a vice president who recruited me to co-create the first social media position at EMC. After that, I knew I had a story because instead of almost pledging like a fraternity to get my first job at EMC, now they were coming for me for my expertise, not something I was working on during the work hours, but something that I was building, a brand that I was building outside of the company that gave, got enough visibility. And they came after me. and. When I, I thought I was going for an interview with the head of PR for EMC, so I brought all the all the personal reading toolkit, all those all those web, the websites, everything I was doing, as well as the press kit into into that interview, and it didn't matter. It was already sold, and so that was much different than pledging um, and working really hard to get in that company, and that was. You know, build a, build a powerful brand, be recruited based on your past was more of my motto at that point. Wrote a book proposal, got rejected very harshly by Wiley Publishing, stood with it, tried to find agents, got rejected by 69 agents. The 70th agent rejected me a week before I got my own deal with Kaplan Publishing. And so that was my fourth more underdog, working really hard um, against all odd story. and. Then, uh, you know, and then I realized that the publisher wasn't going to market it for me, that I was kind of getting crapped on because I was young, I was 24 at this time, and I developed an a huge, huge marketing plan around this book. I even hired a PR person, she did no work, I won't name names, but I ended up having, getting all the PR by myself, so I got the book in, I mean, almost any way you could think of, New York Times, I was on TV twice, NPR twice, um, you know, probably at least 80 different uh, big brand name news sites and I got it in about 80 or so blogs the first day. The book got, went up to number 220 on Amazon, you know, still a bestseller today, still doing really well. Now I'm, you know, the youngest columnist for Business Week and you know, I wait for Metro US and my, you know, I have, my blog has been taken to a whole other level now and I have contributors under it. and. And I mean, the list really goes on, but it's really that long story that I just shared with you. And um, never give up. And 
now it's much easier to monetize your passion and, and really uh, make a name for yourself online using the different tools. Okay, so what I love about the story you've just told is that you've introduced several elements that I think we're going to be able to drill down on tonight. And part of what you've done is to show that this wasn't just being in the right place at the right time, that this was a lot of hard work. You mentioned internships, you mentioned the website building, your actual capabilities there, your talents. You mentioned creating an awards program and then being in a position where you didn't have to sell yourself necessarily, but your body of work provided an opportunity for you to, to go to the next level in your employment. So uh, can we sh are you comfortable shifting a little bit to the book now? Sure. We'll, we'll do whatever you want. I'm here for you. <laughs> okay. But I like being in, I like being in charge. So for, my first question is, what did your grandfather do to help the world? Oh, God. So my grandfather actually died the week the book came out, which is another, which is another curveball for me. But he, um, you know, he, he was like an architect, and he owned a lot of homes in the Western Massachusetts area. He had like 240 homes or something crazy like that, and you know, he provided housing. He took he took care of everyone, and yeah, to me that his impact just on that community is is world changing and life changing for the people who surrounded him. So he was an amazing individual. He instilled a lot of drive in me. So I definitely miss those phone calls each week, and he, um, you know, he told me to always stay with it. And he, sadly, he didn't get to see me on TV. He didn't get to see a few things that uh, really happened. But he got to hold the book in his hand, so that was really cool. And you know, amazing person, and uh, you know, God bless, rest in peace. So, you know, maybe part of the lesson there is somebody who is caring and encouraging, who helps you get through the the moments where you need that hard work. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's really intense. You know, I have I have a whole forum that is, makes fun of me. It's called Freak Safari, and then I have people on Amazon who just like try and like destroy my reputation. I mean, it's just create the stuff I deal with is pretty insane um, because of a lot. There's a lot of ageism. He's I'm 25, and a lot of people are like, oh, what does he know? And then you know, I just get a lot of people who just disagree with personal branding. So it's just it's a lot of stuff that I see every day, and it's kind of kind of helped me. Like I've really learned how to manage manage relationships and when to talk off and when to ignore and everything. Well, I think it might be fun to kind of drill down uh, in a little bit on sort of practical strategies. But before we do so, you say that the book, or maybe I heard this in an interview, is by a millennial for millennials. But I didn't actually feel, since I'm not a millennial, I didn't actually feel that that was true. Are you getting a positive response from people outside of that initial demographic? Absolutely. And some of them are giving it to, to their kids as well. I think, I mean, again, how I broke through was not to position myself as a personal branding expert. It was to use, to use my youth alongside personal branding in order to break through the crafts and, uh, crafts and be number uh, one of one, right? So. You know, before any anyone else my age took that positioning, I, I claimed it and I built a brand around it. And now it's become more and more obvious that people who read my stuff, it's anyone. I mean, really, it's hard if, if you know if an advertiser says, "So who reads your blog?" 
like everyone reads it, right, of all these different ages and positions and, and industries. And, and that's really it, is that it, it applies to every single person and it applies to companies' products. I mean, brand, the strategies are really the same. And that's why personal branding really exists, is that, you know, if you look at social media, I can have a Facebook page, you can have a Facebook page, Gillette, Razors can have a Facebook page, you know, uh, you know, celebrities can have a Facebook page. Anyone can, any brand can be involved in this and, and have a presence as long as it's backed by the individual. And that's another reason why personal branding is so hot right now is that, um, it, always, it should always be hot, is that, um, that there's got to be an individual voice behind a brand if it's corporate or product um, selling it and, and being that voice and being that PR person or the spokesman, the spokeswoman. Um, so that's, that's really what's happened is that the internet has made branding really obvious. Even though personal branding always existed, now it's a little bit more tangible, it's a little bit more obvious to people. So I'd like to propose some, so you know, I read this book coming from the perspective of education. And uh, um, I wasn't hindered in any way by the language, but I, we've had a good discussion here in the chat from people about the language. I, I'd like to propose some alternate words and see how you respond to them and see if they would fit within the framework of what, of what you're saying. Sure. So, so I hear personal branding and what I think in my mind is reputation building. Is there so I, I obviously I get this a lot. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it is developing a reputation. But I mean, I just feel that personal branding is even more. I mean, it's a whole lifestyle. It's how you live. It's it's more than just work. It's your personal professional life. It's it's everything you are. It's how people view you. So I think it's a little. It's reputation is definitely a part of it. It's one of the key words I would definitely say. But I think it's even more. I think personal branding is in it. Even though it appears like it's a niche, it's broadest term and it includes so much it's really even hard to hammer it all down because it applies to so many people and there's just so many different facets of it. Well I'm thinking about the in particular the the changes in the internet and what and the opportunities that they provide say for in education and not just for students but also for educators themselves that the you know the the guy in Harrisburg Pennsylvania Jim Bigley who becomes an expert on using technology to teach the Civil War and music in the Civil War and has a blog about this and, and can be Skyped into a classroom. And I'm thinking about him, you know, he may not say personal branding is a phrase that's going to immediately attract him, but he certainly would feel like building a reputation or building a specialization are things that, that he is actually doing. I would agree. I okay. mean, you can say you can say reputation. I don't. It's not like I have a problem with it. I just, it's more. I guess it resonates more with certain people than others. Well, and like I said, it didn't hinder my appreciation for the book, and and I think I was especially uh, interested. I, at one point, I wrote in the margin, you know, authenticity, because I was, you know, I'm trying to say, okay, this needs to be authentic. I mean, you need to be representing yourself, not falsely but authentic and then you have a whole long section in the book about authenticity yeah yeah uh, you have to be the real you because everyone else has taken and replicas don't sell for as much and and really the key here is that if you brand yourself and there's nothing behind it what is what good is it going to do for you 
You know, if you get a client where you can't fulfill the need but you appear like you can, then you're not going to make money anyways and they're going to have a bad impression and they might talk about it online and hurt your reputation anyways. Well, I think it's uh, I think it's very significant, uh, and I think it's historically significant and, and tied to the web. Um, there's a in one part of the book you have a quote from uh, Libby Sartain at Yahoo who says, "Less applying for jobs, more I'm paraphrasing. Less applying for jobs, more of employers finding you." So, are there some pretty significant lessons here for students, and and should we be trying to figure out how to teach this? Of course, yeah. I mean, more and more schools are using this type of information in classrooms and even in career services offices because I, I'm connected to those those people as well and the lesson here is that they just have to, they have to be smart. I mean you really you are what you publish and even more so is that people are searching for you online using many different tools and so no matter no matter who you are you're going to be judged based on what you share and create online. And, you know, even maybe who you follow or a friend. I mean, everything matters. And so you, people have to put more thought into it than ever before, especially because there's so, there's so many different sites where you need to be a part of now, and you can't avoid them, whether you're a person, company, product, and so forth. And so, Aside, not just joining them, but managing your reputation, your brand, so your, there's appearance, this your appearance, your identity, all of these keywords is, is vital now. And it's not about just doing it, doing it today or five days from now. It's about throughout the rest of your life. I mean, this is all here to stay. It's going to evolve, of course, over time. There will be new services that appear. There will be other services that decline. and don't exist anymore, but the same rules will always apply, is that you have to exist online, Me 2.0, but you also have to manage that throughout the rest of your life because it's now not, it's not just about going to your job and going to networking events, it's about doing the same work but online and letting people know that you're doing it almost. So there's a little bit of delightful recursion in the fact that you're personal brand is around personal branding. And I hear kind of echoes of that if we think about education in the sense that in order for educators to help teach students to, to take advantage of these opportunities, they actually have to be doing it themselves. You have to practice what you preach and that builds the authenticity too. Okay, so I do want to get to tactical because I think there will be a lot of fun for people to hear your actual sort of responses to specific things you can do. Um, but before we do so, um, I'm, I'm wondering, does the openness of the web, do you think, naturally promote authenticity? What's your sense? Our lives are completely converged. And who we are at work is who we are outside of work and vice versa. You're going to notice that technology has kind of, it's done a lot of things. One, it has closed the gap between knowing about a place and actually being there and experiencing it. And because of that, job seekers or people in the workplace or people in education 
have much more information at their fingertips and they, they really have more control over their lives and what they do. And the amount of options you have now is endless. I mean, there's like 300 million blogs, there's just so, there's so much information and you can opt into anything you want and take and soak up that information any way you want because there's so many different ways to bring it into your world. And so, yeah, I mean, you are who you are now. There's no escape. And, you know, if you rob a bank, people are going to know and they're going to share it. And then people at work will find out. I mean, it's just, you just can't escape anything. And this is, it's, we're only at the beginning of this, too. I mean, you look at cell phones that can do videos and pictures and then automatically transfer that to YouTube or Flickr, and then that spreads on the web. So this is just happening in an instant, and it's only the beginning. So, you know, the way technology is working is that, you know, phones, the new standard of phones in a few years is just going to be having all these capabilities, and it's happening now, obviously, with like an iPhone and everything, is having the abilities to take in content anywhere you are, many different types of content, voice recordings, pictures, videos, text and then transferring it directly to the different social networks and blogs and everything. And then having people, if it's interesting or worth sharing, spread that. And so there's really no there's no way out. And especially because everything links to each other, right? So all of that would go to Google and then that could spread somewhere else. And I mean it's just it's just hard to control and manage. And so our job as individuals, whether you're in education or anywhere else, is we're going to have to spend more and more time managing our reputation as well as promoting what we have to offer. And it's going to—it's tough, right? Like years ago, people's jobs were a little bit more simple, and there was obviously less competition. Now, it's a different world, and the amount of time you have to spend upkeeping your brand online has increased substantially. And now, if you don't have a website, you're screwed right now. I mean, really screwed. You need some sort of destination online. And the key is, is your, what your proper mix of perturbating elements are and how you use them. It's not just that they exist. It's not just joining everything. It's about choosing the right ones and how they work for you. And this is the same for a business or anything else. You know, whether it's a college or a high school or whether it's a force for other company, the same rules are going to just apply and apply. You just have to know what you want to do before you start doing any of this stuff, before you get involved and engaged. And that's the problem that I've seen a lot of people run into. Not to go on about this, we start about converging, is that, um, you know, if, if you're representing your company or your college or your high school or whatever, and you you push more of your brand and don't support the company, then it's a loss of opportunity of you giving more value to the company or the college, and um, and it will make you look bad too. So it's it's really being able to properly balance, and I'm not talking about work-life balance. I don't really believe in work-life balance, but I believe that you need to strike balance between who you promote. You know, if it's 40% yourself and 60% your company, that might make sense for you depending on your situation and what your career goals are and what your business needs are. And so that's really key is really striking balance between how you promote yourself, how much time you spend building what brand. Dan, what about the balance between putting yourself in a favorable light, 
and not being excessively self-promoting. How do you manage that? You have to promote others. That's really the key. I, I really believe it, the most powerful idea in personal branding, and I posted about this on Monday, is branding by association. And you can't brand by association unless you help other people. And that's really how you build a brand, is through other brands, working for large brands, getting endorsed by large brands. That's really how you build your own brand. That's how most people do. Um, and so the key is, is that you need, to for, you need to put yourself in a position where you can network and provide value and support other people. And the easiest way to do that is by blogging or by being on the social networks, retweeting and interviewing other professionals like you're doing right now. And it's really just putting the spotlight on other people and promoting others. But at the same time, what you'll notice is that you're promoting yourself while promoting others. So it's really a, a two-win situation, plus it puts you in, in a position where you're networking, and you always should be networking because networking is life, and the second you stop networking, the second you stop growing. And it's so much easier now. And no one can complain about networking or that they can't really progress in their careers or meet mentors or anything because People are more accessible than ever before. They're including all their information. You can send a Facebook message to almost anyone now. You can tweet anyone. Maybe not everyone will follow you, but it is a different world, and you've got to take advantage of this world before everyone else does, and you don't, and you get left behind. So uh, there's something kind of uh, strangely magical about what you've just said, meaning that uh, it, it almost feels like the benefit has shifted to the altruistic, more connector type of person. Do you think that's true? Say that again? Well, what I'm wondering is if the, if, if the advantage has shifted to people who are naturally connectors or naturally collaborative and interested in helping others. If what you've said is true, it feels like that's kind of a magical shift. Yeah, what I find interesting is, again, take Twitter for example. One of the big things that people like on Twitter is retweets because that's how you spread your message. And for the most part, what gets retweeted? Good content. And are you going to have all the good content all the time? Probably not. So you're going to have to actually read other people and tweet about their content. And when you do that, you're helping them but at the same time, you're seen as a valuable contributor, so you'll probably get more followers and more retweets. That's just one example. So yeah, soft skills, communication. If you're not good, at, if you don't have good communication skills, you're in real trouble right now. I mean, really, you better get those communication skills, and you can get those communication skills by starting to communicate. That's the easiest way to get it: to start to blog, to start to share, to start to do this stuff. You can attend a thousand workshops, but if you're not actually putting it into motion or seeing for yourself how it can best work for you, then it's not going to work for you. Then you're just not going to get anywhere. So Dan, what about the vulnerability uh, when you put yourself out there? How do you deal with negative reactions? What do you do about making mistakes? How do you move on when 
everything is so publicly visible and something doesn't go right. You have to make mistakes. It's the only way you learn, at least from my experiences. And when other people call you on those mistakes, or when you notice the mistakes, to be upfront with them and be honest and explain what happened. Like if your site goes down and everyone's freaking out, or you know you didn't email your customer back in a week or anything like that, then you're going to have to make up for it. And if you don't, then you're going to suffer. So it's really about reactionary business now and um, just doing whatever you can to execute, have an execution mind, just trying to make things happen. And you know, if something does happen, then you're going to have to have more of a dis disaster recovery strategy to fix everything. So uh, those of us who, who are relatively visible within whatever spheres we are have experienced um, criticism where it maybe didn't feel like it was deserved. Is there a little bit of a dark side to the ease of communication in the web? Does it make it easier for some people to sling mud? It does. Because everyone has a voice. And that voice can carry now pretty fast. So you have to watch what you say and you have to patrol. You have to keep tabs in your brand. You have to use google.com slash alerts instead of comprehensive alerts up for your name, your competitor's name, topics in your industry. And you just got to keep tabs on, on what people are saying about you. If they say something bad, you have to make a judgment call. Right? If it's factual, you might have to press up. If it's a lie or exaggerated, then you might want to contact that person directly. If it's really out of whack, and they don't even have any, a, a big following, then I, I wouldn't even bother with it. You have, to, you have to make a call for yourself to see how you want to react. So do you think that the potential for having to deal with that is sometimes a barrier to entry? Meaning, are we sometimes, do we kind of keep ourselves a little bit in a shell because the moment we put ourselves out there, we might have to deal with that kind of criticism? Yeah, I think it makes it hard for a lot of people. If you can't deal with criticism, it's going to be really, really hard for you to get involved online and be engaged because you're going to get criticized if you're doing something right. If, you, if you're not getting criticized, that means you're not succeeding online. You need to have that backlash to prove that what you're doing is, you know, is different or new or cool or anything like that. It justifies it, in my opinion. Okay, so be thinking about questions you'd like to ask Dan. I'm going to go on for another five minutes or so, and then we'll open the floor up to questions. Dan, what about specific strategies? I know that for me, holding interview series, building social networks, blogging have been really significant. Are there other sort of surefire ways for people to get started? You have to know what your brand is. And even more so, it has to be a niche. And that's really how you stand out. The most work for brand building, in my opinion, takes place before you even start launching a blog or joining social networks or starting an email list or applying for jobs or anything. You really, really need to know what you want to do and what you want to be known for. I think the real key to everything is what I call the success triangle. And there are three sides to this. One is passion, two is expertise, and the last one is the support system. Now the, here's the key. 
passion is the fuel for personal branding. It makes somebody never give up and put in the amount of work needed in order to be successful. So without that, you're not going to be happy either. The second piece is expertise. Expertise is important because if you're not an expert or if you don't use your passion to be excited enough about something to become an expert, then you're not going to fulfill a customer's needs or a company's needs and therefore... Dan, I lost your audio. So Dan, the last thing you said was if you don't have passion, you're not going to fulfill someone's needs. So you'll have to turn your mic back on. It looks like you dropped off and had to come back in. Can you hear me? Yep. Did you know where you stopped? Were you cut off? Yeah, after yeah, you? yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know where I am. So, so as an expertise, if you, you need expertise, you can't just be passionate because you won't make any money being passionate and you don't want to be broke and doing nothing. And so you need the expertise, maybe use the passion to get excited enough about something to gain the skills to get the expertise. But you need to become that expert or that future expert at some point. And that is how you fulfill in a position to fulfill a client's or a company's needs. That's how you'll make the money. And then the last piece of it is like the key because it's really how you build your brand. It's how you move ahead in your career and that is a support system. So let's say it again. It's passion, expertise, and support system. Support system is the networking piece. It's using your passion and your expertise in order to meet other people like you other people who have complementary skills that can help you maybe build a business or whatever. And, and so by having all three of those in place, you'll be happy. You'll do what you're good at so you'll make the most amount of money. You won't give up so you'll keep with it so you'll be able to build it uh, to a very high uh, level hopefully. And then support system is how you'll find the other people to support you as you cross the finish line or achieve your milestones or goals. So I, I really love what you've just said, and I'm, and I can see in the chat we're also you're getting a lot of huge positive feedback. I don't know if you've been able to look at the chat at all, but uh, I love you, Dan has appeared at least once. So, so it also seems to me that a part of the story you told at the beginning, and it's a larger part of the story of open source software and the web, is the willingness to work for free. And I'm going to qualify that, but the willingness to kind of prove yourself. You did internships. Others work on code or write Wikipedia articles. Uh, you, know, you know, what's your response to that, and how important do you think that is? If you've read Chris Anderson's book Free, you'll probably know that it's a a free type economy now, and the way the media has changed, you know, doing things for free is, especially if you're marketing or you're marketing yourself, I mean, you pretty much have to. Blogging is free. It's really hard to make money blogging. Right? I can't say I made a million dollars blogging or anything even close to that. But by giving away things for free, that can go viral and be seen by many more people who will get to know you, get to know what you provide, and therefore they're more willing to purchase your services, whether that's speaking, consulting, whether it's a product you're offering, um, whether they want to hire you. And that's really the key. Free allows 
you to build brand awareness, which is the first step in the product um, purchase cycle in marketing. Sorry to bring up marketing, but that's that's the key. And so once they get to know you, then they might buy you, if you know what I mean. And so if they if they don't go through the awareness part first, which free allows enables, then how are they going to buy you? How are they going to be buy services from you? How are they going to find you online? How is anything going to happen for you? Free is the entry point to form the relationship with other people so that they come to you and me buy your services or a portion may buy your services in some way, whether it's hiring, whether it's consulting, whatever it is. Free is the entry point to uh, getting people to know about you. Okay, well, I, get it, uh, I need to introduce uh, Teresa Beffa, who's my uh, sort of behind-the-scenes uh, helper lady. And, and Teresa, I'm sure you're madly taking notes here to I be able am. to promote this, right? Of course, I am. <laughs> okay, I'm writing, like, writing like crazy. So, and actually, I do have a couple questions already. Okay, well, we'll let you go first with the questions. But let me, I'm going to quickly close with a statement, Dan, that you said, uh, and then turn the time over to those who are here. I thought this was just wonderfully profound. You said in the book, as I developed my personal branding strategy and started sharing it, personal branding became less about me and more about others. Before, I would wake up every morning and say to myself, I want to make the largest impact in the least amount of time. Now I say, I want to help others avoid mistakes I made and find real success and happiness in their lives. So really appreciate your being on. Okay, so Teresa, you want to ask the first question? Yeah, well, actually, I, I was going to start. Uh, Kathleen had asked a comment, or she made a comment from the very beginning. And she said, do you do interviews with students? Or have you considered doing it through Skype? Or So you're thinking of, um, I mean, if, for people in the audience listening, or is this to Dan specifically? Yeah, it was to Dan specifically. Kathleen had asked a question in the little chat, chat box. If you do interviews with students, or if you've talked to classes, It looks like we lost Dan again, but he's coming oh. back. Hang on. So Dan, you're, you're, you've come back, but your mic is off. The question was, have you done? I'm here. Question, <laughs> go ahead and ask the question again, Terry. Uh, one, of, one of the participants, Kathleen, had asked if you have done any interviews with students, or if you'd consider doing it through Skype. Students for Skype. Well, I think whether I or not you had, you'd, you'd come into a class or talk to students specifically about personal branding. Oh, yeah. We've lost your audio again, Dan. I wonder if it's an internet connection issue. Sure. Dan, we'll see if you come back. But we lost your audio. Now it looks like he's about to drop off. Okay, so we'll try bringing him back in again. Sorry, Dan, we keep losing you. It must be some kind of a connection issue. Yeah, I think I have a connection issue right now, but let's try and work our way through this. Uh, did you hear my answer to that one? No, no. unfortunately, I have to start again. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So, Dan, if you're talking, we're not hearing you again. And it does sound like you have an internet connection issue. Okay, so I'll queue up those questions when Dan comes back. We've got a good first one for him. And Terry, you maybe have another. There we go. Dan, we think you're back. Hello. Hello. You are. Ah, oh, can you hear me? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've, I've talked to a lot of students in the Northeast, MIT, Harvard, different schools. And are those, are those accessible to everyone, or is it a case-by-case? Case? You mean my presentations? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, like, there's clips on my YouTube channel, but I, I'm going to start offering it as a product because uh, they're like an hour and a half each. So that says to me, go get them now quickly? Yeah. Well, I know there's only clips on YouTube right now. There's like, you know, each one's like maybe two to three, five minutes maybe. Well, that would be really interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, you'll tweet it out and we'll see when you actually do offer those. Terry, was there you another question? Yeah. Um, actually, another question I had was um, back to the corporate versus personal branding. And you went on, uh, we were talking about having a voice for yourself versus your company. And uh, there's been a lot of discussion recently in the social media marketer area with uh, ESPN. And I'm sure you've been following that. Have you? No. I didn't okay. hear about that one. Well, they, they actually put, a, um, they put a, a policy together to talk up to and send out to the company as to what they could or could not say about the company on their own personal space. I don't know if that was something you've talked to people about, personal branding yeah, versus yeah, working I mean, for a company. Yeah, I mean, I've, there's a lot of companies that have social media policies. I mean, EMC's developing one, and we have like a draft one. But um, you know, Yahoo has one. A lot of a lot of these. Like HP has one. Um, so how do you some, feel about how do you feel so, about recommending some guidelines to people? Is I mean, obviously, you don't want to say anything inappropriate but differentiating between yourself personally and that message of your company. The key is to know your role and use common sense. I mean, it, and it sounds simple, but it's not. And it's kind of, people just got to get carried away with their ego and they forget that no matter what disclaimers they have, they still are associated with their company. And so they have to be smart in different situations, right? So if you have a blog that talks about your expertise that you're using for your company, you've got to be a little bit smarter about what you put on there. Whereas if it's about your dog or your vacations, then it doesn't matter as much. So and that's, that's really, it's, it's by your, it's, you've got to just judge it by your situation, you know, and if, you're in a situation where you're interviewed for something that relates to your profession directly, you'll probably have to go in and be cited as someone who works for that company rather than for yourself. And it depends on your career. There's so many different elements to this, but you just have to be smart. You just have to use your best judgment. So you are saying that you, you do recommend for uh, anybody that's listening right now that once they're starting out and blogging or whatnot to kind of have a disclaimer with their authenticity? Yeah, you can, but it's, the disclaimer is still not going to really matter too much because yeah. people are just going to still see you as, you know, Henry Smith, professor at Yale. You know, <laughs> people are just going to still, and you need and you should use that because that's the credibility piece. You can't really hide it. You can have a disclaimer, but it's still not even going to matter. You just have to be smart. I mean, it's, it sounds simple, but people Great. just 
aren't all always thinking when they do it, especially on Twitter when you don't really, like I don't even think when I'm really posting it. I think, but a lot of people don't really think too hard for each tweet. They just, it just happens. It's like your live stream. It's something you don't think about. And I'm saying that you might want to think about it a little bit more. Yeah. Do you want to open the, thanks, thanks Dan, did you want to open it to the floor? Sure. Yeah, I'll take any questions. If you have a question uh, that uh, Teresa didn't ask and it's been in the chat and it's flown by and we've missed it, please feel free to repost it or use the hand with the green up arrow to raise your hand and we'll give you the mic and you can ask Dan a question. Then the question is, how do we promote online collaboration when various factions within education are terrified of the Wild West nature of the Internet? You have to lead by example. You have to show them it works by doing it yourself. And that's the key is that getting students to collaborate and showing the results that they had after using it rather than before is more of a case study that you can use to prove to them that it matters. You know, and so it can be tough to convince people social media works right. It took me, I got my position uh, November 2007 and it took me probably six or seven months to really break through and convince the executives to get a hold of, of social media and to develop the program, even though that's why I was hired. But you just have to stick with it. And if you really believe in it, you can't give up, just like we talked about earlier on the call. You know, social media, whether people like it or not, it's changing education and you either want to jump on board and have a, a future as one of the top teachers or professors or whatnot or, I mean, you're going to be at a disadvantage, you know, and to be one of the leaders, to be one of the heroes to make it happen in your school is a big deal and so I, I really think that that's the way to go and you don't want to be left out and, you know, you won't be able to do it any other way because if you're really hooked into this stuff, you're just going to want to do it. So Dan, we have a question that's going to come through for the mic. Angela, I'm giving you the mic and you can turn your mic on and ask. Hey Dan, can you hear me? I can. I can. All right, good to talk to you voice to voice. <laughs> um, finally, I'm glad you found Illuminate. Good. Um, one of the things I totally agree that it's very hard to um, explain this to someone else, especially our students, if we have not made that awareness and that commitment ourselves to be transparent and to live who we want to be every day, both on and offline. So when I try to help teachers conceptualize what you're talking about, my first step is to have them Google themselves just so that they see what comes up. Um, what would you say would be, once that awareness is there, what would be the first lesson that you think that they should model or share with students to help bring this conversation into the classroom? The first lesson, I would say that you need to show them a case study of someone doing it right and someone doing it wrong, preferably the, the, the company or the individual who did it wrong. I think one of the cool examples, uh, it, it actually happened recently when a study just came out. It said that 8% of companies have fired someone based on what they saw on Facebook. And there's one great example, and I mean, you could probably Google this, of someone getting 
laid off because they didn't realize that they were friends with their manager on Facebook. And so the they they updated their Facebook status saying, Oh, I really hate my position and my manager or something like that. And then underneath, under the comments section, the 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 manager pretty much said you're fired. And so that's a good example to show them. And then you'd want to show them a positive example of someone using social media to get a job or to advance a career. And there's infinite of those. I mean, if you look at my my last Business Week column, if you go to businessweek.com, like skip something like skip job boards and use social media. That there's like five success stories there of using it, and and that's really it. I think case studies bring it to life, and then having having third-party endorsements can help you as well. So non-teachers. Um, or non-teachers from your school coming in and helping out. Hey Dan, we're going to uh, take at least maybe just one more question. We've got a few minutes left while we're, we're waiting for someone to raise their hand or put the question in the chat. Uh, Teresa, if you wouldn't mind looking for that. I'm going to put up the link to the uh, survey for tonight's show. So Dan, because you have moderator privileges, you and Teresa, don't close this window down. It'll come up and you may be tempted to close it down, but if you do so, it will close it for everyone. This is the survey for tonight's show. We'd sure appreciate it if you'd fill it out. I'll put the link also in the chat. Okay, and I'm going to give the uh, mic to Ione, Joan. In order to speak, you need to click on the mic button in the audio area. There you go. All right. Uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm enjoying this presentation greatly. I'm an avid Illuminate uh, fan and now online teacher. Uh, I put a question higher up and I'm, I just scrolled up to read it. As a former brick and mortar school teacher, I used my nickname, Maestro Circe, as my online footprint. There are now over 6,500 results with my nickname on Google. I've since started my own educational services business, Teach Me, Help Me, altogether which now has close to 4,500 results on Google. How can I better my brand or my uh, ID <laughs> and bring more traffic to my ads-based free blog, forum, poll, multimedia educational sites? So you're, looking, you're looking for more results for your, your name, your consulting business relative to your past life. Um, is that what you're looking for? And you want those to fill so if you build yourself the top ten results, it's gonna be a, a mixed match of your current and previous life. Is that what you're saying? You'll have to turn your mic back on. Okay. Actually these nicknames are pretty much uh unique. Teach me help me uh together and uh uh also Maestro Circe is unique to me, so I know it's not used by other people. Uh, what I'm trying to see is how can I use this, uh, let's say, popularity of thousands of hits on Google to maybe bring myself uh, more um, more traffic to my sites? Uh, should I go on uh, YouTube and create videos? Uh, is there uh, is there a way to become even more popular and hopefully more successful? Well, I would say a blog. I would also say Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. 
creating groups, fan pages, building up an audience on all of them, and wherever you can, linking from all of those services back to that one destination that you want to build, um, whatever that may be. And whatever you do, just constantly promote that URL, whether it's an email signature, whether you're giving a presentation to a class, whatever you're doing, just use that URL and put it in there. And you know, just just you know, it's really hard to say. I, I would say, you know, I have a whole book on blogging that I distribute for free that you can get to. It's if you Google 53-page complete blogging guide, that's a book that'll walk you through how to drive traffic to your blog and promote it. And there's a lot of tips in there that you can use as well. So I mean, there's a lot you can do. I would figure out what you want your destination to be and then use everything you have to drive to it. So it could be writing an article for an online website, guest posting on blogs, commenting on other blogs, presentations, you name it. So it's, it's just using all the marketing elements and then driving it back to one, one main spot. Okay, Dan, I want to be sensitive to your time. Or I, I'm thinking it's 9 o'clock for you and you've yeah. done your hour. So okay, let's everybody clap for Dan. Thank you, Dan. We're using a little clap. No problem. Thanks for having me. Awesome, terrific show that we'll post the recordings tomorrow. I'm sure Teresa will pull some great quotes out. Thanks everybody for coming tonight. Thanks to Illuminate for providing this environment. And thanks for spending some of your time tonight with conversations.net. Okay, Dan, sure appreciate all the time. All right, take care. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Thanks everybody for coming. We'll leave the room open for a couple of minutes, but then we have to kick you out so that the recording will process. Sure, sure had a good time tonight. Sure, uh, want to recommend Me 2.0 by Dan, uh, available through Amazon or your local bookstore. We tried to put some links in the chat log as well, and we'll post the chat and the recordings tomorrow so you can look back through them if there's something you missed that you want to see. So have a great night, everybody.